I don't know if it's true or not, but our, I think our worship team may have felt like they had some big shoes to fill after last week, but come on. He does have big feet. Um, Pastor Mark has big feet. But what a wonderful uh, season of worship today. Thank you. Okay, I think we had 18 messages on building a firm foundation in Christ. I mean, that's a big old foundation. It's a lot of bricks. I invite you to go back. You will soon get an announcement where an online school uh, will be available through Community Bible Church, and you can take classes, quizzes, tests, and graduate from that school uh, as we finalize things. And the first classes available in a few weeks will be those that have to do with a firm foundation. We are partnering with our Daily Bread University uh, in a very interesting way to lead the way for other churches to provide opportunities for discipleship online uh, following the messages that they hear here in the sanctuary. Now we move on to the second of four. It's gonna take me two years to do this. Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. This is the first introduction to that topic today. We'll be looking at Galatians chapter four, verse one through five, and Galatians chapter five, verse one. Freedom in Christ is incredibly important to a believer. And the message and the content that I give you today to many of you will be things that you've never heard before in your entire Christian walk. I want you to pay attention. To you, it will likely be revelatory to understand the freedom that we have in Christ and how to access that freedom. I would say that every person in here on some level lacks freedom in at least one area of your life. And if you don't think you do, the thinking that you don't is the area where you need the freedom. All right, so we're all included now. We've included everybody. And we are not to remain slaves to anything. We're not supposed to be subject to anything or anyone but our king. We're supposed to be subject to our king. Not our past, not trauma, not our feelings, not our emotions, not shame, not victimization, not institutionalization, not an addiction, not sin. Freedom from everything but subject to one person, our king. We're going to get there. So how are we going to grow in this freedom? Years ago, back in the day, I used to sell cars at Tabor Pontiac at the corner of Peachtree and Piedmont in Atlanta, Georgia. They called me the closer. <laughs> you wanted someone to swoop in, close the deal, have them right out of there in a Pontiac, an RX-7, a Mazda 626. I was the closer. I was the finance guy. I set the rates. I got the credit approved. I was the guy. If you bought a car from me back in the mid-80s, I may owe you an apology. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but, but it's a long time coming, but this is it. Hopefully you financially recovered from that. <laughs> moved on in Christ. I do want you to know that's under the blood of Christ. There were many demerits I probably earned. But the car dealership was owned by a man named Earl Tabor. Earl was in his 80s. Walked into work every morning, had a cigarette in his mouth, and three inches of the cigarette were ashes, and we would take bets as to what part of the carpet the ash would fall on. 
His son was Bud Tabor, who was the president, and his grandson was Wes Tabor, who was a friend of mine. Wes Tabor was being groomed to be the general manager. All right? The grandson was being groomed to be the general manager. Now, being a General Motors dealership, there was a training program for those who wanted to be a general manager. This is the way the training program worked. You took the general manager to be and you put them in the parts department. Delivering parts, selling parts, stocking parts, and driving around in a parts truck in the middle of Atlanta in the summer with no air conditioning. Once they had an idea how the parts department worked, they moved on to the body shop where they cleaned the floor, took orders, put price and estimates together. They were in charge of customer satisfaction. They worked the body shop. They moved on to used cars. They went also into new car prep, looking at cars that come off a truck and prepping them to be delivered to people who just bought them. Eventually, they made their way up to sales, the business office. And when it was all said and done, they had been to Detroit a couple of times, they became the general manager. That was the way you did it. I like it too. It was effective. Any general manager ought to know what a customer is going through in every part of that dealership, what they're dealing with, good, bad, and indifferent, what the employees are going through, what they struggle with, what their budgets need to be, and whether or not we need to fix the air conditioner in the pickup truck. Great training program. Once he became of age, he then became the general manager. Only after he became the sales manager. All right, good training. Now, hold that thought. Galatians chapter four, verse one. Paul writing to a, what's called a cyclical letter. He's writing to the churches in Galatia. Galatia is a geographic area. Many churches in Galatia. And the idea here, he's gonna write this letter and they're gonna pass it on to the next church like a baton. And everyone's gonna read it. We're gonna get this problem straightened out. What's their problem? Well, their problem is they lack freedom. We'll get into that in a second. Now, what he says says here is, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Explanation. When you had your household, you had a son or a daughter, they were cared for by those who worked for you. They were, in a way, raised by guardians and trustees. Some of you may have been raised by people in your home more so than you were your parents at an early age, okay? So the responsibility of raising up a baby, a toddler, a grade schooler, a middle schooler fell to a guardian or a trustee, someone appointed and who worked for the parents. 
They had no special privileges, though they would be a future heir of the estate. They had no special favors done them. They were in the General Motors training program. They worked the body shop, the parts department, the fields, they cleaned the barn, they did all those things. That's how they were prepared to come of age. They were minors, they weren't recognized as an adult, and their last name had little to nothing to do with what they did have to do or didn't have to do. Everyone did the same. They were really no different than a slave. When the boy is just a child, he was being prepared to be a man. When the girl was just a child, she was prepared to be a woman. They had less day-to-day freedom and authority than the highest-ranking slave in the house. This is throughout Rome and Israel and Palestine, everywhere. Yet they were destined to inherit everything. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Subject to, they had to answer to, their authority was the highest-ranking slave. Quite a responsibility, I might add. They were subject to what different translations call spiritual forces. Um, in Greek, that means principles. They were, they were subject to these principles, and they had to adhere to them. Laws, you might say, of cause and effect. Many of you have raised your children this way, with cause and effect, cause and effect. In this day, it was like, You get something if you earn it, and then you deserve it. If you don't act right, you don't deserve it. So it's all a performance-based reward system. I'm not saying it's not effective, and I'm not against it. I'm just saying that's what it was. Obviously, Life Challenge has a reward system. See, part of me, this is the mess what's messed me up, is I almost feel like I'd like to go through that program and see if I could beat you with the demerits. <laughs> so competitive. But the award system is such, you do this, you deserve it. You don't do this, you don't deserve it. In fact, if you do this, you deserve punishment. That's the whole system of being raised by slaves. Are you with me? You get what you deserve. And there's some truth there, obviously. And that basically rules the world we live in. Let me say it again. It rules and permeates every culture, everywhere we live. Even Eastern religions would call it karma. Even if you believed in reincarnation in India, your reward for a life previously lived or your penalty for a poorly lived life will yield you your future status in your next life. Karma, same principle. And it leaves you in potential bondage. We live in bondage to the elements of this world. Even us as believers came up in various contexts. Your parents may have beat you you developed an understanding of your worth, your goodness or lack thereof based on abusiveness. 
And that got factored into your identity. So when you, quote, came of age, you brought with you into this present day and all years after you came of age, an understanding of this earned, deserve, punishment mentality, and it probably, on some level, has the potential to still affect you today. I'm talking to 25% of you, statistically. The 25% that were physically, if not sexually abused, in this room, that you came up under that guardian system that in some way has the potential to define you going forward, okay? We bring our understanding of parenting into our futures, marriage into our futures. Even the first, the second, and the third marriage of your parents, we take something from each one of those and bring it into our future. And we, we bring this principle, it sort of goes with us, and we have to figure out, are we going to feed it and nurture it? You, some of you had incredibly horrific mothers or fathers. I mean, by any standard. I, I'm, I'm not talking like I'm guessing. I'm, I'm talking because I know, because we've talked about it. You've horrific parents. I mean, well, I don't even know going into detail. Okay, well, that goes potentially with you into your future when you come of age, okay? That guardian or that trust, poor trustee. So this earning and deserving plays into the raising of people in the first century and this century. And it's hard to shake this kind of thinking, really, but it's essential if we walk in grace. Now, here's Paul's challenge. Not only is it a challenge he has with one church, it's all the churches in the area. It's not like he's dealing with a, a rogue Corinth. He's dealing with all kinds of churches. And he's got to get this letter out to all of them. Because this has to be corrected. We can't raise Christians in, a, in the same uh, spiritual force or, or um, expectation that the world operates. Okay? Because now, now look, if you're steeped and marinated in that earned, deserved performance thing too much, and you're defined poorly or highly based on your performance, how difficult it must be to make someone make a transition all of a sudden to grace. It's hard. I've been doing this for 30 years and I find the most difficult thing to do is to take someone steeped in legalism and have them truly not only cognitively understand grace, but receive it. Why? Because they can do all the good they want and you're still not deserving. You could do all the bad you want, but you're still deserving. Not based on whether you performed great or in a deficient manner, but because of what Christ did on your behalf. Now this becomes problematic and he's gotta get these people squared away. I talked with someone on the phone yesterday, maybe here this morning, it doesn't matter. She's talking about, in so many ways, her past. She doesn't want to release her name. It's like, like the phone call's like a covert op. It's like, she went, came up in this particular denomination and they're being told one thing and the deacons are smoking out on the front porch. She's conflicted. Yeah, I said, yeah, I get it. 
Sorry, sorry to hear that. And so what she's trying to do is figure out if I got my act together over here. That's what she's trying to do. I said, well, there's, to my knowledge, somewhere around 700 sermons you could listen to. Got the time. But the point here is this. Bless her heart. She doesn't know who to trust. Is that what we're come to? I, I, I don't know if I can trust walking in that building and being manipulated or taught the wrong thing that will leave me having to decide who I am or who I'm not based on whether I can or I can't, whether I will or I won't. You see how difficult it is now to impart to somebody the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom. Because when we're good, we deserve to receive good. When we're bad, we deserve to receive bad. And grace contradicts both of them. It doesn't deal with this on the basis of what we deserve. It deals with this and what we can justify we will receive because of how Christ has justified us. Justified never done anything wrong. So don't take your demerits into your future. Don't bring them up. Don't make trophies of them. It was a system that got you to where you are. But the demerits are about 150 to 200 feet still descending in a sea of forgetfulness. And you're no longer defined by. I know this is a problem for a lot of you. You're just going to have to be loved. Bummer. His blessing and favor is given for reasons that are completely in him. In him. And have nothing to do with us. If they had anything to do with us, I wouldn't be standing here. Do you know how much grace has been afforded me to stand here and speak to you? A lot. Let me tell you. Last week, a gentleman came to the service, sat somewhere in these pews with a friend who carried him here, that lives here. This man's name is Tom. Tom happened to go to the same high school I did. He happened to be in my graduating class. I happened to know him, and he knew me, and we shared mutual friends together. Tom was and is very much aware and sensitive to what a reprobate I was in my senior year of high school. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you, there weren't a lot of people who didn't know who I was, what my name was, in either a very good way or a very bad way. He wrote an email saying, I didn't get a chance to catch up with Pastor Gary after this service, but I do need to tell, I told my wife I was crying at different times during the service because where he's concerned, I realized what God can do to impart life to someone and change them radically from the old man to the new. It was one of the best emails I received in my entire life. For my, my 17 to 24 was some of the blackest, darkest place 
to live in my whole entire life. I cannot begin to describe to you. Well, it doesn't matter. Let's not be proud of it. I'm not. And then he says in verse four, but when the set time had fully come, When, the, when I'm saying is that as long as the heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental, elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, when that child, that boy or that girl became of age, now, different customs, different religions have different benchmarks the bat mitzvah, the bar mitzvah, the quinceanera in Latino culture, or for a girl, or, or, the, or the Romans would have, they didn't have a specific age, but they practiced a specific date, March 17th. March 17th, that's when you went from boyhood to manhood. That's when you went from girlhood to womanhood, March 17th. It was the celebration of the God uh, Liber, where we get the word liberty, and they entered into freedom as one who came of an age on that date. Can you imagine? You're wanting the keys to the car. You're wanting to go out on a date. You got your driver's license. March 17th's coming, and nobody's talking about any kind of celebration. You're looking at next March 17th. It's just March 17th. That was the coming out party. All right. Some of us in homeschool uh, lore and history, we celebrated knighthood or, or, or some equivalent when we began to see this coming of age of manhood or womanhood. So March 17th. And at that time, this is weird, at that time, the son or daughter, though they were a son or daughter the whole entire life, they were adopted by their father. Wow. In other words, they became a son or daughter of age by way of adoption of their own biological father. I don't know what that meant beforehand, but it's not too attractive. They were acknowledged then at that point in time as an heir, heir to the estate. They would be in the will at that point. Where they once had a, a toga with a broad purple bottom on it, which signified they were a child, they received a new toga, one without the purple band, that signified not only their manhood or womanhood, but for the man their citizenship. Wow. This was the Roman custom. And when, when of that age, a boy would bring his baseball, soccer ball, tennis ball, something he played with, and the girl would bring her doll and they would offer it to the god Apollo. We're done with that now. We're a man, we're a woman. We're no longer being raised by guardians or trustees, we're now heirs. We're now heirs and we now count and we're now sons and daughters. I got a piece of paper to prove it. They were to put the old way behind them. First Corinthians 13. How many of you heard this read at a wedding? For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, 
What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, when I became of age, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That came right out of a culture of the Roman citizen who wrote it, the Apostle Paul, who understood what it meant to come of age, to to no longer be apart from, but adopted by their father, and in addition to that, an heir to the estate. Think about that for a second. You were raised by principles of this world. The Israelites were raised by the purposes of this world. They were raised by the law. The spiritual principle in which they came up in is the law. You either perform it or you don't. You either (laughs) are lawful or unlawful. There's little to no gray area. Christ comes in the fullness of time when God saw that it should be the time. And he came to redeem us. That his finished work may satisfy the childish way of performing or not performing the law. And now Paul is saying, to love, I have to put childish ways behind me. There is, even at this moment, in your heart and mind, many of you, and mine, the childish way that measures one's worth, one's value, one's performance based on adherence to the law. It is the childish way. The longer I, the longer I minister, the more I come up with this conclusion. It is the childish way that keeps us from loving. The childish way accentuates faith, accentuates hope, but the childish way lessens our ability to love. And that's why he includes it in a chapter on love. The childish way of the Roman, the childish way of the early Jew can't love or has a diminished love or a conditional love or a non-grace love because that's what their guardians, that's what the slaves taught them in their own home. Now he's got church after church after church throughout Galatia that's still in the childish way of trying to perform their way into earning the favor of God, the grace of God, the love of God, and they can't love anyone to the extent they need to love because they don't understand grace. All right, let me take it a step further. After 30 years of ministry, I've come to this conclusion. The majority of the bondage that we have in our life is the absence of maturity. Maturity is defined by a walking in, reception of, and imparter of grace. Why else would he say, I gotta put my childish ways behind me? The more we accentuate faith, the more we accentuate uh, hope, the less we magnify love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is 
love. If we can't love, it's because we're restricted. We lack liberty. We're still in the old way. We're being raised by the slaves of yesteryear. We're not walking in the full independence of the identity of the freedom of the grace of God. Therefore, I can't love you the way I want to love you because I can't receive the love. How can I give you something I haven't received? I just explained why the divorce rate is what it is. We can't love each other unconditionally. We want to raise our spouse, we want to parent our spouse to get them to change their behavior by pointing out they're not doing it right. You gotta do it different. And the absence of grace is the presence of childishness and bickering, and we don't get anywhere because we're not maturing. We're not maturing because we've replaced personal accountability and discipleship with sitting in a sanctuary, listening to a guy preach a message and think that's the end of it. It's not. It's the beginning. I am not an entertainer. Don't want to be. Probably could have been. I'm not an entertainer. I'm not here for your amusement. I'm here to get you out of the, if you're there, out of that old way into a more liberating way. What happened back there where we were victimized? When we had a bad example? Shoot, some of us may have been terrorized. What happened back there that has to be dealt with by the grace of God? The releasing of people from their childish ways and the walking in the coming of age of our own faith where we walk worthy of the calling we've been given and we are free. Years ago, I put... (laughs) And there's, uh, years ago, I put some videos online, one of, one of which was, has been watched over 150,000 times. And it's interesting to me, the content of it. It's, uh, it's about the return of the prodigal, uh, placing the prodigal on his knees. It's a painting by Rembrandt. He's on his knees with his ear to the sternum of the chest of the father, and the father's got his wings, I'm sorry, arms around him. He's embracing him. Prodigal has one shoe on, one off, and the one he has on has a hole in it. He shaved his head out of shame, and he smells like pig pods. His older brother's standing there looking at him like he wants to kill him. I shared that video in my thesis research with people who are... uh, and college students that were beyond promiscuous. 
They had boyfriends, girlfriends, some both. They were into pornography. I pulled them. These people were so far into lustful things and empty pursuits of love. I'll never forget that one girl who anonymously returned the poll back to me and said, I actually, she was a, a, a lesbian girl who I think, if my memory serves me correctly, was exposed to somewhere around 10 to 15 hours of pornography a week had zero spiritual uh, discernment or appetite whatsoever. And she answered to the question, would this video move you in any way, shape, or form to consider the gospel of Christ? And she she answered yes to every one of those at the fullest extent of how you could answer this question. She wanted honor. All she had was shame. She just wanted honor. She, she didn't, see, shame is not when you do something wrong and you feel bad about it. Shame is when you do something wrong and because you did, you're wrong. You're worthless. It's not the behavior. It's the identity. She was probably brought up in some other spiritual dimension of performance-based. She couldn't pass the muster. So she decided she was worthless. And because she was worthless, it really didn't mean anything to do anything negative to her body. She wasn't doing it to anything of worth. And all she wanted was honor. She wanted to come of age and not be measured by what she did or didn't do or how well she did or didn't do it. She just wanted honor. That's what Jesus, if you look at him and watch him carefully, gives to every woman he meets. Honorific identity. Honorific identity that imparts to them an understanding and a demonstration of his love to identify them as his heir and joint heir with himself. So in the weeks to come, when we talk about bondage or restrictiveness, legalism, that I wish somebody would curse once and for all, what we're talking about, friend, is experiencing freedom and coming of age and growing up in the most holy faith, taking responsibility for your own actions and thoughts. And I will be coming at you passionately on these subjects because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He came to set the captives free, provide release for the prisoners. And any aspect of your life that's imprisoned is not acceptable. Not acceptable. You are an heir now. You're wearing a different toga altogether. You're clothed in Christ. You are of age. You have a 
you call it a New Testament. I call it a last will and testament of Jesus Christ and showing you what he has left you for all eternity. John Newton, uh, mother, he was an only child. His mother died at seven. Kind of a rough start. Became a sailor at age 11. That's a nice crowd to come up with. He saw many a man sold on a slave block. Many ports, many men, many sold. On March 10th of 1748, his ship was going down. And he cried out for mercy and was amazed that God actually gave it to him. And he penned the song Amazing Grace. To keep it fresh in his memory, he fastened across the wall over the fireplace and mantle in his house, Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. You know, you, me, for the most part, most of us who can remember not being a believer, those of us who can remember not being a believer, you came up in the General Motors training program and you don't realize it. God allowed you into these different places, different departments, different exposure to life, different kinds of work, different kinds of people, exposed you some real nasty people. And we all defined what life was about based on all the sum total of everything that came our way and we involved ourselves in until we came of age. The day you came of age is the day you accepted Christ. He goes on to say that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit of who calls out, Abba, Father. As our worship team comes, let's, let's draw this to a conclusion. I'll tell you something that really concerns me more and more. And I think it's because in the end times we see this in the scripture that the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. We sang this song, Lauren led us in this song before the message. It made me wonder, are we, are you, ask yourself this question, are you living a life in Christ worth dying for? Are you living a life worth dying for? As it pertains to defending, making known the cause of Christ. It's an interesting thought because it's a, it's a really good way of, I, of evaluating in a very calm moment, really, am I willing to die for my faith? If you're not willing to die for your faith, it, it, it causes me to wonder, why would I expect to receive life from the very God I'm not willing to die for for my faith? So there's something wrong there. There's really something wrong there. My concern is that we have the appearance. 
The possibility exists that not everybody that walks through this door is where we think they are because they're in the door. That's foolhardy to think that. Are you... Are you in... Hey, are you in relationship with him? Like an ongoing friendship? What are we doing here? Is it an appearance thing? When I was in Atlanta, I used to meet people and I... One even told me. I said, good for you, man. Way to be honest. Come to church to get some business. The goal wasn't to empty their heart of worship. It was to get the business cards out of their front left pocket before they got back to the car. Appearances. Well, there's much to say on this subject as we go forward. But those who were in Christ came up under a different principle. And then grace appeared. And it got, it got superseded altogether. Use that grace in your relationships and afford the other person the freedom to be themselves right now and hopes that they'll grow out of it. And realize if you're in charge of changing them, they're not growing out of it. If you hear yourself saying, you've been this way for the last 50 years, make the connection you've been on their back for 50 years with the same old system. Grace. Grace. I have plenty of demerits. You and me, a dear. I'm the guy who loved the bumper sticker that said, my son is a student at Dodgin Middle School and his grade point average is 1.8. <laughs> Whatever. I bet that guy's freed up. Huh? He's freed up today. All right, don't send me an email because your kids are here. I get it, I get it, I get it. He's trying to make a point. The time fully came. It was nearing 483 years since the prophecy of Daniel. The road system was in place, the language is in place, the land masses, the geography, everything was ready. The shipping lanes were ready. Everything was ready. The commerce, the empire, all the way up to modern day United Kingdom, the Roman Empire, infrastructure was in place just for the perfect proclamation and distribution of the message of the gospel of Christ. No other time in history had a better delivery system than that time right there. And he came. And all who encountered him and accepted him came of age and were given a robe of righteousness, not a toga, and they became heirs. He goes, I'm going to work with you guys, girls. Put up your balls and your tennis balls, baseballs. Put up your dowels for a minute and I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to mature you, sanctify you. I'm going to bring you to a point where 
you no longer are worried about every I dotted and every T crossed. I took care of all that, my friend. His death on the cross was so perfect, it crossed every uncrossed T and dotted every undotted I for all eternity. Forget it, raising living to a standard of acceptability you can't do and just receive it for crying out loud and start giving it away. Therein lies the basic definition of freedom. Okay, next week we carry on. How will you and I get freed up? Loosen up. Loosen up. I can't think of a sport where you don't loosen up before you play. In golf, you take a practice swing. Some of you take like six. It takes five and a half hours to play 18 holes. But I'm free over it. <laughs> Baseball, every inning, the first baseman throws a ball, the outfielders are playing catch, everybody's loosening up, you swing in the bat. Golf, you got practice strokes. Football, not so much. Hockey, during every period, you loosen up. How about church? Before you come to church next Sunday, loosen up, will you? Better yet, before you get up in the morning and you're walking around in the flesh, getting ready to hammer somebody for something they did or didn't do. God forbid, get on the phone with somebody. Would you loosen up? Stretch a little bit? Your rigidity's killing us. Loosen up. What does that mean? Get in the Word. I was writing the other day, I'm writing, making, writing a book, and I came across this line, and I thought, oh, Lord, that's good. That's good. You have the oil of the Spirit. And this world's full of tin men. Figure it out. Loosen up. Let's get freed up over the next few weeks and enjoy the fullness of what Jesus wants for each of us. I want you to think about that. Your assignment before you come next week to loosen up and I want you to think about and write down for yourself to see and no one else all the areas of your life where you could use a little more freedom. And if you can't come up with anybody, after the service next week, we'll have people that'll hand you notes and let you know. <laughs> Everyone will leave here with an understanding. Let's think about this as we worship.